Hey everyone, this is Chad. And in today's episode, we talk about environmental sustainability, fighting climate change, and so much more with Stuart Lombard, the co-founder and CEO of Ecobee. Ecobee is a Canadian home automation company that makes thermostats for residential and commercial use. They're on a mission to create a more sustainable world and simplify your everyday life. So what's so cool about this company? Well, Stuart has a fascinating background that we get into on the show, and he went up head-to-head with a little company called Google, who was doing a startup or acquired a startup, I should say, called Nest. And what's so interesting about Stuart's story is he not only had the courage to found Ecobee, but he also had the courage to go toe-to-toe with a massive competitor in the space, which is Nest and Google. We talk about that, Stuart's approach to leadership, culture building, and so much more on today's episode of Mission Daily. Enjoy. Let's take a quick time out to thank Trinet for sponsoring independent media like Mission Daily. Hey, I know running a business is not easy. One of the biggest challenges is HR with all of its details and regulations. So I chose Trinet. Their experts make everything from payroll to benefits and even compliance easier. And they offer full service solutions tailored to your industry and your company, whether your team is 10 people or a thousand. For me, that means less worry and more confidence that it's taken care of the right way. You and your employees deserve the same. Check out Trinet for your HR needs today. Stuart, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, excited to have you here. I was uh, doing a little bit of complaining before we started recording about the, you know, being oscillating between being too hot, too cold. And so this is a timely interview. Before we get into it, uh, we'd love to hear, you know, how you introduce yourself and what is Ecobee for people that don't know. Sure. So my name is Stuart Lombard. I'm one of the founders of Ecobee and also the CEO. And, you know, really our mission is to create a more sustainable world and at the same time improve everyday life. And, you know, we're best known for our Wi-Fi connected thermostats. And, you know, not only do they deliver great comfort and solve those hot and cold spots that you were talking about, but they also save a lot of energy, which has a huge positive impact on the planet. Yeah, I think carbon footprint and energy bills and things like that, if for any homeowner or even people in other apartments or other living situations, it's at the forefront of everybody's minds. So what does Ecobee do to, to help with that? So when I started the company, the reason why I started it was because I was looking for ways to you know, reduce my environmental footprint. And, and so I went out and I spent $26,000 on solar panels and I was on my way to buy a Prius. And you know, my wife, Andrea, said, you know, honey, that's crazy, right? <laughs> like, we can't afford this. You know, we did some research and, and what we found was that heating and cooling is 40 to 70% of the average home's energy use. And so better managing your heating and cooling is actually one of the easiest and best things that you can do. And at the time, the devices that were in people's homes were, you know, incredibly hard to use. It was all about how do we get like the cheapest piece of plastic in your home. And we thought if we could internet connect it, if we could use real data and science, you know, how much better could we do? And the really cool part is, you know, we estimate our customers have saved enough energy to take the city of Las Vegas off the grid. And so that is just super cool. That's substantial. Yeah, that's uh, really, really fascinating. So I was reading one of the articles you wrote. I think the headline was, we don't build cars or computers like we did in the 70s, but we still build homes like that. So 
tell us a little bit about why you wrote that piece and how might we see change in the future of how homes are built and how we use the data in our homes? It's a great question. You know, one of the things we realized when we were building the product was that there was just very little data and fact-based evidence about how homes are built, how people live their lives, how we consume energy. And, and one of the things that we realized was that, you know, to really do a good job, we wanted to look at the way people consume energy in billions of homes. And so we created this program called Donate Your Data, where we allow our customers to donate their data to the science. When we take that data, we anonymize it, and we put it into the largest data sets of their kind, we believe, anywhere in the world. And that really allows us to look at how people consume energy in, you know, literally millions of homes across North America, which is, you know, which really changes the way, or we believe will change the way energy efficiency research is done. And so we've been working with researchers in all kinds of different, you know, academic institutions. Um, one of the groups, you know, discovered that, you know, the state of Indiana didn't have to build a new power plant using our data. And that was really cool because it saved the ratepayers of Indiana over a billion dollars, but also saved all the greenhouse gas emissions and all those kinds of things that go with it. And, you know, we have researchers working on how to build more energy efficient homes. You know, what's the impact of building code on energy efficiency, how to help seniors live longer at homes. So very cool, the things that people are working on and, and we believe will have, you know, outstanding outcomes for for people and this idea that, you know, sustainability is, is a great value because, you know, not only does it help us save money, but it also creates a more livable planet. And that's super important to us. So when people are listening to this now, I'd love to just take a step back and help them get some context about who you are and where you're from. We were talking a little bit about this before we started recording, but we'd love to hear yeah, where you grew up and what was some of your growing up time like? So I grew up moving around quite a bit and my father worked for a multinational. And so, you know, we were on that program where basically every two or three years we picked up and moved somewhere else. And, and that I think was, you know, as a kid was very exciting to me because, you know, I got to visit lots of places. I got to live in Brazil and Europe and parts of the U.S. and Canada. And so it was really quite formulative for me. But the other side that was interesting was my father was someone who believed that he could make anything. Right. And so as part of my childhood, we spent lots of time making things that everyone else went to Sears to go buy. Right. And one of the things we created was a collapsible canoe. And that really started me on this whole trajectory of making things. When I went to university, I would have said my parents, they didn't give me a lot of advice and they probably didn't think I was going to amount to much. And to be perfectly honest, I had no clue what I wanted to do when I graduated from university. And, and so to all you people out there who are thinking like, oh, I don't really know what I want to do with the rest of my life, you know, that's kind of been my life story, which is, you know, each chapter has been a new chapter. They've all been different. And I've just kind of tried to do more things that I like and, and less things that I don't like. It's a great mental model there. Yeah, you can't go wrong if you ascribe uh, to that for an extended period of time. So how did some of those experiences searching and, you know, going from one thing to the next or, you know, kind of trading those things that you didn't like for more of what you did? How did you go about that early on in your journey when you maybe like left university, for instance? So when I left university, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And I, I, I got lucky in that there was a company that made flight simulators and flight simulators at the time, this is the late 80s you know, were these amazing large boxes. So you can think of the front part of a plane, like the cockpit and maybe the next 20 feet back up on a massive tripod with a visual system. And if you were a pilot, you could get your license to fly a 747 in a flight simulator made by this company. 
And so I went to work there because, you know, they had these giant boxes that went up and down in the, in the air and, and it was awesome. And what I quickly found out was that I thought they were completely crazy. And one of the most fortunate things that happened to me was I had a horrible boss and the boss was so bad that one day I just, you know, picked up my stuff and in one of these, you know, take this job and shove it moments, I walked out the door and I moved back in with my dad and my dad was not happy because he was expecting me to work for this company for the next however many, 27 years or whatever it was. <laughs> and here I was living in this basement, but I was fortunate that it was early 1994 and the internet was just really starting to take off. And someone said to me as I was walking out the door, like, hey, you should check out this internet thing. And I did. And I happened to start one of the first internet service providers in Canada and built it into Canada's largest internet service provider. And, you know, Part of it, I guess, was was good luck because if I hadn't had that conversation, I wouldn't have even thought about it. But that really started me on this entrepreneurial roadmap. And, and since then, I've started a, a couple of companies and have been fortunate that we've been lucky and, and had some interesting ideas that, that worked out. So it sounds like your approach to company building is very non-fundamentalist. It sounds like you're always open to new ideas and open to you know new experiences. Would you describe yourself as you know a pretty open person or... How did you go about kind of like finding that or building that opportunity? Yeah, it's interesting when, when people say like, you know, how did you decide to start a thermostat company? Did you wake up one morning and just decide you were going to start a thermostat company? And I was like, yeah, pretty much. That's what happened. <laughs> uh, you know, I hadn't been in consumer electronics. Uh, none of the founders were in consumer electronics. None of the founders had been in the heating and cooling industry, but it just seemed like a really good idea. And so I think, you know, it, it's always started with what we felt was a really good idea. And then I think the secondary idea that, you know, that if you are willing to pick up a book, if you're willing to apply yourself, if you have some resiliency, you know, you can really learn anything and therefore do anything. And, and why that's so important is because when you look at, you know, when we started Ecobee, people said to me, why are you doing thermostats? No one cares about thermostats. And what are you going to do six months from now? With the implication being that smart thermostats were as good as they were ever going to be. But the reality is, you know, now we talk about machine learning and AI, we're talking about, you know, voice recognition, and we're talking about sensor fusion technology and, you know, radar and, and all these different sensing technologies. And, and it's just a, a journey of continuous learning. And so, you know, I really believe that, you know, what you know today isn't as important as your ability to learn. And that is what really defines kind of the trajectory of your career, where you can take it. And I think if you're open to new ideas, you can take your career anywhere. So when you first had the idea for Ecobee, you woke up that one morning and you started to go about your learning process. Obviously, you had some experience with experiences with prior companies. What's your learning process like once you have the idea for a new company? So we really set about riding with heating and cooling contractors. And so there were four of us who started the company and we basically spent the first two months in a van with heating and cooling contractors, just trying to get an understanding of the industry, how the contractor thought about heating and cooling systems and really getting ourselves up to speed as much as possible on what I would call domain experience. And, and that's, that's really, you know, how we started talking to customers, interviewing customers. I'm a huge fan of four steps of the epiphany and, know that customer discovery process and so that's really the way that we started we created a business plan obviously understood kind of funding models you know what would you have to believe is true those types of things and that's really the way that we started yeah shout out to steve blank he's definitely one of the original gangsters in the space for sure absolutely i think that repeatable framework is fascinating of how well it works so have you continued to keep up 
you know, a certain amount. I mean, I'm sure you have, but what's your customer development look like now? Are you always doing this? Do you always make some time for it even after 12 years? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the, you know, the things that keeps me up at night is this idea that it's so comfortable in the office that you, know, that you can stay 100% <laughs> consumed in your office. And so that advice about getting out of the office, try and spend at least a day, a quarter answering customer service emails and phone calls, actually spend time in the call center, answering calls from real life customers, try and get out with that contractor base as much as possible. Um, we've invested a lot in consumer research. And so you know, we have a team now that focuses on consumer research and we do a significant amount of consumer research and, and that's been, you know, transformative. I think, you know, we really tried to over the years think about what are the things that are going to differentiate us, that are going to make us successful and and really having a world-class consumer experience team is, is has been part of our formula and, and that's worked out quite well. Sure. And when it comes to, you know, building those models of customer feedback, how is Donate Your Data working and how are you going about yeah, using and maybe implementing some of that data into changes or into new product features? So there are a couple of answers to that. So, you know, we're, we tend to be very data driven. And so, you know, I think one of the opportunities is clearly by, by looking at data, you find all kinds of opportunities. So one of the features we just launched is a feature called Eco Plus, and it's really a basket of energy saving algorithms that understand the way your home heats and cools, understands your comfort levels, and makes smarter decisions for you that allow you to be comfortable in your home but save more energy. And what's really neat about that is that someone who's using Eco Plus saves an incremental 6% over the 23% that they're already saving for being an Ecobee user. And if you're in places like California where time of use electricity rates, for example, are going to be the norm, uh, people on time of use rates saved an incremental 8 to 18%. And so those implications, especially when you think about it being you know, 40 to 70% of your home's energy use, are significant advances. And that's all come from really thinking carefully about the data about using machine learning and AI and creating you know, better responses for customers. Definitely. Stuart, when you're working with your teams, what's your philosophy look like for culture building, interacting with your executives? I know you've learned a lot from prior companies. How has that kind of changed over time and where are you at now with that? I think culture is, is really hard to get right. And so we spend a lot of time on it and we've, I think, hopefully being quite thoughtful about it, you know, we believe in a, in a few core tenets. So one of them is around transparency. And so if you came into our office, there are no offices, there are very few walls, we're open concept. The office is actually uses concepts from anthropology to foster collaboration. And that's because we believe that good ideas can come from anywhere. You know, I tell people, if you're waiting for Stuart to come down from the mountain like Moses and, you know, give you the Ten Commandments and go forth and do great things, you're going to be very sorry. <laughs> and so how do we enable collaboration to happen? How do we enable those eureka moments where you might pass someone in the hallway, have a brief conversation, the light bulb goes off, and you can capture that idea and make it into something concrete? Continuous learning, I think we talked a little about a little bit before, is also a huge Thing. And so we spend a lot of time thinking about how can we help our employees on that continuous learning journey? How do we help develop our people? Because products and services that we'll be delivering next year or the year after 
you know, won't be based on the technology that we, we used two years ago. It'll be based on something new that's, that's coming. And I think that's also one of the things that makes this space so exciting. And then I think the other thing is as simple as like we try and treat people like adults, right? And so I don't care when you come to work. I don't care where you work. I just care that you do a good job, right? And so I think that idea of creating an environment where people are excited to come to work, they have autonomy over the jobs that they do, there's a lot of transparency and collaboration and just good ideas come from anywhere, I think uh, has been very good for us. We want to take a quick time out to thank Trinet for sponsoring independent media like Mission Daily. When you're growing your business, you'll need to solve all kinds of HR challenges and you'll need Trinet. Trinet gives you expert advice on HR compliance, attracting top talent and how to efficiently outsource your HR Get started now by checking out Trinet's free e-guides at trinet.com slash e-guide to learn more about how to tackle these issues. Now, let's jump back into today's episode. When it comes to learning, you know, you mentioned being inspired by anthropology and Steve Blank. Curious, what else is on your bookshelf and what are you reading right now to kind of see what's coming down the pike that's going to be relevant for you and your teams? I guess you can put it in a couple of different buckets. So I'm a, I'm a huge business book junkie. And so, you know, I just finished The Infinite Game, which I think is a great book. There are two books that I think have been particularly transformative to our business. One is Playing to Win, which is sort of a strategy framework book written by A.G. Laffley and Roger Martin. And it really talks about how you create or framework for company strategy. Measure What Matters is really, really great. And we use objectives and key results, as do many people. And, and I think when we started adopting objectives and key results, it, our performance improved significantly. I'm spending a lot of time right now trying to up my skills in, in machine learning and AI. And so that's been a bit of a journey. So those are the things on my bookshelf right now. Very cool. And with the games book, were you talking about The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek or Finite and the Infinite Games? Just curious. Kind of nerdy question. Oh, no, sorry. The, the Simon Sinek one, the Infinite Game. Okay. Okay, cool. Sinek, yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I'm a Simon Sinek fan, but also a fan of Cars and Blanking on his first name that wrote the, uh, the second one. So, oh, okay. I don't know that one. I'll write it down. Yeah, Finite and Infinite Games is really, really uh, fun. A simple book, uh, more philosophical, but it's a great book for anybody thinking about life or, you know, some larger questions like that. So, Stuart, when you're... If we rewind your story a bit, I'm sure people, you know, glance at your career and say, okay, this has been a pretty linear progression up, but I'm sure from your experience, it's been marred by a lot of setbacks, a lot of, you know, hard experiences, a lot of uh, rough learning experiences, but also a lot of victories. Have there been any dark nights of the soul for you? And so, you know, what were those like? and How'd you get through those? Definitely a lot of, a lot of dark nights. I think certainly, you know, when we, when we started Ecobee, funding was an incredible challenge. And then when Nest came out, you know, I think when we went to go see VCs, it was interesting, you know, at the beginning when we started fundraising for Ecobee, you know, VCs just looked at us like we were morons, or let's say me, like I was a moron, right? And then when Nest came out, they started looking at me with pity, which was worse than looking at me like a moron. <laughs> and their advice was all the same, which was life is too short, you know, give it up, pack it in. And I tell the story that I, I don't smoke, but I came down out of a VC meeting out of one of the towers and 
you know, I was so stressed out and it was a cold February day and I was trying to decide whether I should just quit and give up or not, that I bummed a cigarette off somebody on the street and I was like, should I give up? Should I give up? And that was really the day that I decided like, I'll give up the day they take the keys out of my dead hand. And I love it. You know, really just sort of that grit and resilience. And I think, you know, a lot of times you hear stories about people you know, telling the story about how they raised $100 million in 45 minutes on a PowerPoint presentation. And that is not our story. Our story was 174 rejections and a lot of heartache, but it's all been worth it. Yeah. I think often people's perception is so myopic and focused on short-term results that the businesses that are going to last for a long time, whether that's 100 years or a couple hundred years, they don't look like much of anything when they initially get started. Like Nintendo starts with playing cards. And I mean, the examples are like just, you could go on and on, but the evolution of all great businesses, it's not something that happens overnight. So, which brings us to the fact that I think the average lifespan of the fortune, you know, an average fortune 500 company is dwindling. I think it's down to around 15 years. How are you thinking about building Ecobee for the long term, And what's the future there? Well, I'm really excited about the future. I think we're optimistic by nature. And, you know, ultimately, I think there's a new computing platform being built. So if you think about, you know, the first one being desktop, the next one being mobile, really believe the next computing platform is connected home. And it will be driven by a few core technologies. The first one is far-filled voice and the ability to really use your voice to interact with the cloud services you love. The second one is really around advanced sensor technology and being able to use sensors in very different ways to understand context better. And then the third is really around machine learning and AI and having these intelligent agents that automatically discover the devices you have, you know, learn how you want those devices to work and then configure themselves for you so you don't have to. And, you know, really we see this platform as being one that just makes your life simpler and better and takes all those things off your mind that you know, you know you have to do, but you'd rather not spend your time doing so that, you know, you can focus on what matters, which is really spending time with your family and friends and, and the time you share together. Right. And if we think about voice too, this is as we start to move past the smartphone and into new computing platforms and having sensors all around us and, you know, voice technology, it looks like Ecobee's already working with Apple HomeKit, Amazon Alexa, Google Assistant, Microsoft Cortana. Smart Things, IFTTT. So, what's Ecobee able to do now? That's amazing. So, I think just on that, I think there is a lot that we can do where we create this sense of wonder, right? So, if you think about when the iPhone first came out and, and you held it up and you and you started to use it and you were like, "How do they do that?" Like, wow, right? And we're really working on experiences that are similar to that. That just make your life simpler and better. So whether it's you walk into a room and the lights are set to the right level or the door is locked behind you without you having to think about it or we remind you that you know you forgot your phone on the table or whatever it is, but those things that just make your life simpler and better. And I think you know one of those examples is what we're doing with Eco Plus where you know I think for most consumers if you ask them they would want to be environmentally friendly. They would want to reduce their environmental footprint. They would want to save money on their energy bills. They just don't want to spend any time doing it. They don't have time. And so that is something that we can do for them, right, without impacting their comfort. And I think the vision or the really insight that's driving our product development is that people are busy. And so they don't want 
more control over their devices. They don't want devices at all. What they really want is control over their lives. And that's really what we're trying to give back. That's pretty profound. Yeah, I think that's a yeah, very exciting place to focus there. And when you are working inside the company, obviously you're very busy and I'm sure you have your schedule all mapped out and your days are packed. But when it comes time to get outside the company a bit, how are you going about setting up boundaries between your work and personal life? Or do you have it fully integrated? What's your philosophy there? <laughs> yeah, I don't think I figured it out, to be honest. It feels all consuming. I think one of the challenges as a founder is, you know, you have this goal that you want to build something, you want to build it quickly, and you want it to be a significant company. And I think to make those things happen uh, requires just an incredible amount of, of time and commitment. And I don't think there's really a way to get around that. Or let me just say, I haven't figured out a way to get around that. And so, you know, if you spoke to my wife, she would say work-life balance, not so good. Clearly, you have to take some time. And, and I think, what I try and do is maybe focus on making the time that I do have outside of work really count, right? And making those experiences better, uh, be more present in those moments and be more focused and, and rather than quantity of time, let's say. But I, I definitely, I don't, I don't have any good answers to give anyone other than I think it just takes an incredible amount of hard work to, to build a successful business. And I'm sure I'm doing it all wrong. So if someone else has advice for me, I would, I, <laughs> Not so sure about that. But yeah, quality over quantity is always good advice. When you were early on in your career, was there any really pivotal advice you received from whether it was investors, other CEOs, or partners in business? What's some of the best advice you've ever received? I think the best advice I've received is really around focus, right? And I think the way as a startup to, to make it through the clutter is by being really focused. And I think, you know, as a startup, you're only winning hand is the fact that you are more focused than anyone else and that you can create great word of mouth. And so setting up a product or service bar that is incredibly high, that creates incredible fans for you. And those fans who are in turn are going to, you know, advocate on your behalf through word of mouth is the way that you build and grow a business. And so that's the best advice that I've received. I like it. And what do you do? Is there any type of you know, fun time? Are you in the gym? Are you cycling? How are you kind of recharging and taking care of yourself and your mental health? Yeah, I love cycling and running. And I love that sort of freedom of just being able to like hop on your bike and, and go somewhere or put on your shoes and head out for a run. So those would be kind of my daily things that I do. And then I love being outside in, in nature. So if I can get away and be in a state park or be in a remote somewhere, <laughs> I, I, love, I love doing that. So prior to Ecobee, you were a partner at a venture firm. I would love to hear a little bit about that time and maybe what you learned working with founders and LPs. Were there any really big takeaways there? There were a few big takeaways. One was I was not good at it. So I'll start with that. You know, Scott Adams said, being in venture capital is the only profession where you get paid an outrageous amount of money to be wrong 90% of the time. And, you know, being wrong was something that I had a challenge with. And so, you know, to be perfectly honest, I wasn't great at it. It was wonderful from a work-life balance. It was funny. Uh, I don't know if I should tell this story, but, you know, when I started at the venture capital firm, you know, I had voicemail, right? And, you know, Hey, you've reached your Lombard, if this is an emergency, please press zero and someone will help you. And the first person to leave a message is, is Andrea, my wife, and she leaves this message, which is like, 
venture capital emergency? Are you kidding? There's no such thing as that. If she hangs up, right? And, you know, generally speaking, it's true. Your life is your own and you have a lot of flexibility and freedom. But the good thing for me was I got to see how literally hundreds of entrepreneurs were building their business. And so it was like an accelerated MBA program for me. And that I think was, was super beneficial and really opened my eyes to, you know, looking at, you know, whether it was business models or, you know, how to solve problems in many, many different ways. And I found that, you know, incredibly helpful because before that, my, my scope was probably quite narrow. Right. And at Ecobee, how are you thinking about growth, sales channels, partnerships? I, I mean, I see you have a partnership here with PG&E. I know that's a, it's a broad question, but I would love to get your take on, yeah, how are you thinking about growing the business? Uh, so we think a lot about partnerships. I think, you know, again, as a startup, we understand that we have limited resources. I think one of my favorite business authors is, is Michael Porter. And, you know, I think that one of his core tenets is, is this idea that you can't just do what your competition is doing, right? And so clearly we're not going to out-Google Google because Google has more money than God. And so if our goal is to outspend them, you know, <laughs> we're going to lose. And so, you know, I think trying to be very thoughtful about where we put our energies and then where we leverage partners and channels is a big part of that. And so we have a very large pro channel and the heat and cooling service channels. So we have about 30,000 technicians who sell and service our product. We've been partnering with home builders, which has been very successful for us. And we have four of the top five home builders in North America are using our products, our retail partners, the way we think about ecosystem partners. You know, you'd mentioned Apple and Amazon and Samsung and IFTT and you know, really trying to make our platform as open as possible so that we can leverage the benefits that those other ecosystems bring. Those have been, I think, kind of core to how we think about business and can we create win-win opportunities with our partner channels? Um, because we're not going to out-Google Google or out-Honeywell anymore. Definitely. Yeah, it seems the more win-wins you have set up with viable companies that you know want you to succeed, that's a great way to de-risk any business. That's right. And I think the pie is always big enough for, you know, for us to create a, a reasonable sharing opportunity where, there, you know, you get those win-win situations. And, and so that's what we've tried to create. Definitely. Yeah. And I think with the rise in a lot, not a lot, but several companies that are kind of aspiring to be like a full stack solution to build homes in new ways, kind of like build, build homes like iPhones. So Katera is one example, but there are, you know, many others in the space. I think the opportunity for partnerships for your company is it's growing at like an exciting clip. And when you are in moments of quiet reflection, thinking about your career, or maybe talking about life and business to young CEOs or aspiring executives, what's some advice you find yourself giving time and time again to them? So I think the idea of focus again, and, and really trying to do one thing well, the second one is really around resiliency and grit and what it you know, what it really takes. I think, you know, one of the hardest lessons for me was, you know, learning this idea of wanting to be great and actually being great are two very different things. And it sounds obvious when you say it, but it is a very hard road to get from being good at something to really be great. And, and one of the lessons we learned when, you know, Ness came into the category is, you know, we invented the category with the first smart thermostat. People were giving us high fives and we had great product reviews. And then Ness came out and it was, you know, frankly, at the time, better, right? And, you know, we said, we thought we were champions of, we'd won the World Series of Major League Baseball, but really we were playing in some minor bantam baseball league somewhere. <laughs> we weren't quite champions. And so thinking carefully about what it actually takes to be successful and really, 
you know, credit to the team because we really retooled, we really retrenched, really thought about like what is it actually going to take to get there. And the team put in a ton of time and effort to get there. And, and we did, which was incredibly rewarding. Definitely. And so is there a, you know, a cultural vision or kind of like a, uh, a roadmap you share with everyone is, is the goal to make X amount of area sustainable or you know, make Canadian homes sustainable or homes across the North America. What's that vision look like? And uh, how do you motivate your team for the future? So I think having that vision is, is really important. And so I think, you know, one of the reasons actually why the book that we talked about before, Playing to Win, is so important is because it kind of gives you a framework for how to write down what that vision is and what you want to achieve. And I think our vision is, you know, this idea of really making a significant impact on our customers' lives and the environment. And that's kind of where, we, well, that is where we start with, right? And then the rest of the plan and the vision falls from there. And that first idea of, you know, significant impact on the on our customers' lives and their environment has both the environmental perspective, which we think is very important, and sustainability is core to what we do. And I think core to actually building a very strong business in the long term, but also having a significant positive impact on our customers' lives. And, and I think one of the challenges with sustainability is that it's often seen as this trade-off between, let's say, a product that might not work as well and might cost more. And the reality is, is products that are sustainable and that are, are really good don't make that trade-off. They're actually better products and they cost less or they save you more money and they have a lower environmental impact. And, and that's really what we're trying to do with the business and the company. And that's an exciting journey to, to go on. I love it. Stuart, this has been awesome. And for everyone listening, check out Ecobee and their thermostats. They're gorgeous to look at, highly functional. And yeah, I'm going to be checking them out myself. So Stuart, thanks for being generous with your time. And to everyone listening, we'll see you in the next time. Thank you very much. As a small business owner in ultra-competitive Silicon Valley, I used to worry about losing my top talent. I don't anymore, and here's why. I figured out how to offer access to robust benefits like a big company does, but I couldn't do it all on my own. That's where Trinet came in. Trinet helps tens of thousands of small and medium-sized businesses across the U.S. with HR, and they provide you with top-notch industry-tailored service for your HR needs. If you're building a business, you know you need a great team. Trinet is your team for HR. And when you choose Trinet, you'll help support independent media like Mission Daily. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.